meditation, may take a moment to um, make a very close connection with the Buddha in the space in front, surrounded by all the holy beings, and ourselves surrounded by sentient beings as far as we can imagine. And rejoice to have this opportunity to, again, be in the presence, to really uh, connect with the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, to reconnect with our aspiration and intention to benefit the living beings. And then take a moment to come to your breath. Bringing yourself present here to this moment. to set our motivation to really just rejoice at this opportunity we have to practice. And as we look around at what's going on in the world, so many places tortured, tormented by war, by hunger, by confusion, So many people in power overwhelmed by such, really, confusion about what is happiness, what brings suffering. How astonishing, really, that we have met the teachings that teach what the real causes of suffering, the real causes of happiness are. Astonishing, really. So we can rejoice that We have met these teachings, appreciate that, and appreciate our own, um, the inner condition of our interest in the Dharma, our interest in spiritual pursuits, how precious that is. Because no matter how many wonderful Dharma teachings are going on around at any given place, no matter you're even at the holy temple, stupa, in Bogaya, if you don't have that interest in the Dharma, it's not going to go anywhere. And so every single being, every single one has the potential to understand the nature of reality, has the potential to cultivate a heart of bodhicitta, has the potential to find the spiritual path, this spiritual path, and progress completely to awakening. But not every being on the planet has that condition right now. Not just the planet, the universe, all space. But we do, for this one moment, for this little bit of time, for whatever we have in this life. So knowing that we have shared so much with every being through countless lifetimes, They've been our mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, lovers, children, pets, everything to one another. And we live by their kindness even now, every day, day to day. Let's take this opportunity to use the 
tremendous conditions that we have to cultivate our good qualities, to work to purify our negativities, to deepen our understanding of the Dharma, and do this with a very clear intention to become the Buddhas that can lead all these beings to realize that potential in themselves. So we set that motivation. So I want to check that the sound is okay. I got a scratchy throat this morning. Okay, good, good, good. All right. Um, so in the review, I'm, I had the assignment to go back to chapter six and cover the first six verses of chapter six in A Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, or I think we have a different title, Engaging in the Bodhisattva's Deeds, um, which is... Don't you think it's amazingly timely to be looking at this chapter, these first six verses, in the midst of this phenomenal teachings that we're receiving on um, the third ground, the luminous, in this Chandrakirti text? Um, so much so that I like had like reams and reams of material. <laughs> We'll see how far we get, but um, I want to tie these in as much as we can to what we're what we're learning now, and also how to be practical in the application. So, chapter six, as we all know, uh, is the chapter on fortitude or patience, the perfection of patience, depending on your your uh, translation. And Venerable uses fortitude. I'm going to read the six verses straight through in the translation that she teaches from. Whatever wholesome deeds, such as venerating the Buddhas and generosity that have been amassed over a thousand eons will be destroyed in one moment of anger. There is no evil like hatred and no fortitude like patience, or maybe no forbearance like fortitude. Thus, I should strive in various ways to meditate on fortitude. My mind will not experience peace if it fosters uh, painful thoughts of hatred. I shall find no joy or happiness. Unable to sleep, I shall feel unsettled. A master who has hatred is in danger of being killed, even by those who, for their wealth and happiness, depend upon his kindness. By it, by hatred, friends and relatives are disheartened. Though drawn by my generosity, they will not trust me. In brief, there is nobody who lives happily with anger. Hence, the enemy, anger, creates suffering such as these. But whoever assiduously overcomes it finds happiness now and hereafter. Well, that's a pretty good summary of the teachings that we've been getting, right? And when Venerable taught this, she said these first six verses make two really important points, and that's a lot of what we've been studying. The first one is that anger, if we don't control it, controls, destroys our merit. says it right here in the first verse. Whatever wholesome deeds... 
Venerating the Buddhas and generosity that have amassed over a thousand eons will be destroyed. One moment of anger. And while attachment and the other afflictions create negative karma for sure, um, but anger not only creates more negative karma and obscuration, it also destroys our merit. And that is something I think that has come clearer to me in the last two weeks or that we've been in this chapter on uh, illumination of the thought than maybe ever. Um, sobered, if I think sobered is safe enough, sometimes a little shocked, but uh, so we'll spend some time on that. And Venerable said, sometimes, you know, we can see this after a moment of anger, we get a sense of it ourselves. If you've been really had a blowout or a blow up, and then afterwards you just feel kind of like icky. Partly there's the shame and the embarrassment of it too that comes with that, which is really not, um, it's not really real regret. I don't, I'm not sure. (laughs) But, um, But there's also this feeling like, wow, I really have kind of burned my goodness really have gone against my own values when that kind of anger arises and takes us over. So it's a tiny little taste in real time of what it might we might could imagine is, you know, destroying eons of merit accumulated. I don't know. And for Venerable, she said that this, this particular point is one of the things that is one of the best antidotes for her is the happiness of, quote, getting angry, the satisfaction of, like, retaliating or, you know, being justified and being righteous, is that happiness worth destroying eons of merit? If we understand what merit is, and if we actually believe that this is true, which we have to get to, then it's absolutely not. If we don't spend much time thinking about what merit is, we don't spend much time thinking about what the causes of suffering are. If we don't spend much time really thinking about how anger influences our mind and our future, well, no big deal. It's embarrassing. I hope they don't hate me. I'll go to make it up so that they'll like me better. The end. That's not what Shantideva is talking about. So we'll go into that. The other main point of these first verses is that fortitude is one of the principal antidotes. Do we have the verse that there is no austerity like Fortitude. That's, That's yeah, yeah, yeah. There is no austerity. There is no austerity like fortitude. It's austere because we're giving up the wish to retaliate. We're giving up the wish or the tendency or the habit to blame. We're giving up the tendency to strike back to complain, even, to criticize. So it's an austere practice. I mean, how easy is that? Given what we know, how we're trained, how we're brought up, and the seeds in our mind, it's austere. And again, as Venable said, we don't see anger as our enemy, we see it as our friend. So before, so there's four four points I want to cover today, and uh, I want to talk about this a little bit because we've studied this. How many people have studied uh, the mind and mental factors? Studied anger? Studied this chapter on patience, um, fortitude? We still have anger. Yeah, we do. 
And, you know, we will for a long time. <laughs> so that's just to own too. But the deeper and the more we um, get in our body and in our bones, what are the disadvantages of this? Why is this a problem? Aside from the fact that people don't like me, okay. I mean, for me, that's a big deal. But aside from that, what's the real damage here? If we don't de delve super deeply into that and really integrate it into our whole belief system, our whole way of being, then we'll just tra-la-la and continue to create negative karma without much thought. Um, and we don't want to do that. That's not why we're sitting here. It's not why we, it's not why we're sitting here. So, um, so what I want to look at today is to review what anger is, to look at its disadvantages, talk about that, um, to look at what are the virtues, what really is merit. I think we don't understand that so much from, from our perspective. Um, I listened to uh, Jolene, when Jolene Lee here was, was here, we did some interviews for video interviews about the Buddha Hall and had her talk about her understanding of merit which she you knows she's brought up in a Buddhist culture. From day one, they know what merit is. And um, it's a very different view than the one that I was raised with. So let's talk about what merit is and what we're actually destroying. Um, what are the conditions that help it arise I want to try to cover? And then what are the antidotes that we can use right now? So Shantideva is going to have uh, many, 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 many verses that we're not reviewing today on that but something to walk out of here with some practical, something we can learn from each other. So that's one I want to cover. Um, but one of the things I, I want to address right off the bat is how um, our confusion about anger, I don't know if it's just cultural. I mean, I think, you know, anger, everybody has it. Everybody, everybody, everybody. The seeds of anger are there. Um, The definition, hatred or anger, and I actually want to ask Geshe Dadul, hatred and anger are two different words in Tibetan, is that correct? Anger and hatred, these are English terms. Yes, <laughs> they are. They're English terms, and they are used to, generally they are used to represent two Tibetan terms, which sound differently, but are interchangeable. They mean the same thing. They mean the same thing. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so anger and hatred can be interchangeable in English or not, depending on a person's perspective. Yeah, in English, they are not interchangeable. Yeah. They yeah. are different things, but sometimes they mean the same thing, but sometimes they do not. Sometimes they so do. That's, that's why I was expressing uh, my exception in using anger for this at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think hatred's a better translation? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Okay, let's play with that today. Uh, let's look at the term. Let's don't call it anger at all today. If we try it as hatred, it will take a different take altogether. Here, yeah, here. Here, the Tibetan term itself is kongto, which mm. is anger. Mm. They, it doesn't use the term shedang. That is the translation for uh, hatred, mm -hmm. but but that's uh, what I was saying. It's a matter of what we choose to translate it for. But it is kongto, but they are interchangeable in, in, the, in, the, in the loric. In loric, yeah, in the loric. 
Which then, so did that suggest then that the intention of both words is towards our understanding of hatred more than our understanding of anger? Is that correct? Pardon? So that that if the Tibetan terms, the two mm-hmm. Tibetan terms, lean more towards how we use hatred. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. Because even literally, both of them has something to do with coming from the very depth. Xiene Tangwa means um, to to. Tangwa means to to hate someone from the very from the depth very, of ours. Yeah, yeah. Tor is yeah. also the same to resent yeah. someone yeah. or something from the very very core yeah. of us being. Yeah. Okay. So for as mildly as we may think, oh, I don't hate them. I just don't want to sit in the same room with them. I don't hate them. I don't want to eat lunch with them. <laughs> I don't hate them. I just. Don't like them. That's still coming from, no matter how um, how much we try to dismiss it, the root of that is still something arising from our wish to harm and get away. Yeah? Is that accurate? I know there are gradations. There are levels. In Tibetan, mm-hmm. and then see, mm-hmm. does that come close to... That's not quite. It's it not come quite from the, the very depth. From the depth, so many afflictions can come. Yeah. But here, what comes from the very depth is a, a sentiment of kind of uh, I think resentment. Mm-hmm. But not liking someone does have some element it of does. It does. So it's very difficult to draw the line. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very difficult to draw the line. That's very helpful. And I also neglected to say at the very beginning, which I meant to say, to bow to the fact that Geshe Dada was in the room and should be in the seat and not me. I know I have the job, but just to acknowledge <laughs> that the teacher is really not giving, giving the talk today. It's somebody filling in here. Um, okay, so that's the so the, the I went to um, Geshe Japa Techchuk's commentary on uh, these just to get the definitions. So let's look. He says hatred. This is from the basic teaching, right? Hatred is a harmful attitude directed towards one of three objects: a sentient being, suffering in one's own continuum, or a phenomenon that is the source of suffering. Right? We we know we all know this just definition or some variation of it. So hatred easily arises against those sentient beings who we perceive as enemies. Now, enemies is also a heavy word. They're not really my enemy. I just don't like them. So it's a practical term used for those people that uh, we perceive of having harmed in any way. Um, it can also arise against personal suffering, such as ill health or any disturbance of our body. And hatred can arise against a thorn uh, and so on for harming us. It can also arise against our computer for irritating us. Nine divisions of hatred, which we touched on this week. We can have our hatred directed toward an enemy that has harmed in the past, is harming now, or will harm me in the future. 
an enemy that has harmed is harming or will harm my friends or people who are dear to me, or something that has helped, is helped, is helping, or will help my my enemy. Yeah, yeah. So not just directly harming me and mine, but also helping those that I perceive to have harmed me and mine. And Geshe Jampa Tekchuk says, just as every teaching tells us, hatred is our worst enemy. Our own hatred causes us the most harm. And these two little short sentences, hatred is our worst enemy, hatred causes us our own most harm. Our own hatred causes us the most harm, is the crux of the whole thing. And the problem is, we don't get it. Really. I think if we got it, I mean, we're smart people. If we really got it, we would, I don't know, we'd work on it. So so there's the the the. The problem, I mean, there's many problems with this, but but somehow to not, to take the opportunity to really bring this into our understanding. Anger is my own worst enemy. It is not the guy across the street. It is not the president of the United States. It is not my mother. It is not, I mean, whoever in any given moment that we think is the problem, it's not. Hatred is our own worst enemy. So they, you know, they say the reasoning that we get, get behind that is that, you know, at the very worst, our enemies can only take our life. Well, that's not only. It's a big deal. But, and if we only have a view of this one life, it's the biggest deal. If we only have the view that this life ends, when this, when this life ends, that's it. Nothing goes forward, or I don't know what goes forward, or I can't think about what goes forward. It's too much to think about, blah, 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 blah. Then losing this life is absolutely the worst possible thing that could happen to me. And every single thing that threatens it in any single way justifies my anger. I need to protect myself. I need to defend myself. I need to defend my family because losing a life is the worst possible thing that could happen. So if we don't have this long view that the Dharma gives us, that no, the continuity of consciousness cannot be destroyed, <laughs> ever. There is no end to the continuity of consciousness. And the hatred that I cultivate in response to someone who even wants to take this little short life, whatever this little short life actually is, will go with me for life after life after life after life. That's a big deal, and that's a big leap for us to have to make, I think. We do have to make it. But for us to really understand how deeply anger affects us now and in the future, I think that leap is something we have to we have to go for. Um, Geshe Jampa Chuck, or Kinsu Jampa Chuck says, wonderful little 
thing. He says, we may superficially blame our troubles on karma. But if we examine the karmic cause of our unhappiness, we will discover that most of it came from the affliction of hatred in previous lives. Yes, sir? You had something to throw in? Yes, I just wanted to uh, bring this topic up. We speak of Kongdo, but among the 20 among the 20 secondary afflictions, yes. there are many uh, aff- afflictions you may call associated with Kongdo. They are not pointed, they are not singled out here yeah. as the worst enemy. So there is one is very close to Kongdo, Toa, Kwenzin, Tsikpa, right? Toa, Kwenzin, chapter 6, at least two, three are already there. They are not singled out. So it may also have something to do with the intensity uh-huh. of uh-huh. resentment. Why the others are in the secondary class and this one in the root class. Yeah, in, so when I say anger and hatred, as we commonly use them for these two Tibetan terms are interchangeable, is because Kongdo or Shetang, whatever term we use, they are both not at the same time, but they are both uh, included among the six root afflictions. Yes. So that's the reason why they are interchangeable. They take each other's place. Yeah. Never are they mentioned together. But then in the secondary affliction class, we have three, four of them associated with anger, which in our ordinary terms might feel like the same as I don't like that person, or some kind of a malice, some kind of resentment. Mm-hmm. Those are counted among the secondary ones, not in the root one. And they are not counted to be this harmful. So that needs to be uh, taken into consideration. So, if I can, I, so the things like, there are different translations, but belligerence, spite, um, wrath. Those, yeah, those, those, yeah. those. So the translations will differ. Yeah, the translations vary a lot. Yeah. But but you were saying that those kind of um, different versions of anger are not the the biggest enemy, are not the root cause. Yeah, they are. They are like the spectrum. Uh huh. Like the spectrum, right? Yeah, spectrum of anger, uh-huh. and not counted as anger. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And not. Uh, not presented in the light of this destructiveness. Uh-huh. So that's why uh, it has something to do with uh, intensity also, I think. Okay. So then, if I'm irritated, I'm not destroying roots of virtue? Or if, but if I have hatred, I am? It, is that the conclusion we can draw from that or no? It's difficult to say. <laughs> I just want to, I don't want to take myself off the hook. I just want to check. It is difficult to say because it's almost like giving a sanction. Uh, right? Yeah, yes, yeah, go yeah, ahead yeah, and do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, go ahead and do it a little. <laughs> Got it. And, and then giving one's full freedom to call something hatred or not. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's not how the natural law works. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So I think for our, for our practice sake, we should probably, we could, 
look that it all of it is springing from that root, yes. that root uh, non-virtue. And, and and maybe to give benefit of the doubt, give them some or some uh, some role in not the same kind of destructiveness, but some destruction at the very least because of association. Yeah, yeah. And that way we'll be cautious about all of them. Yeah. Irrespective yeah. of whether you call them hatred Yeah, that's very good. That's very good. That's very good. Yes, Venerable Jigme. It just reminds me that um, when we have the different terms and the different intensities, that's beneficial in this way that we can recognize a small irritation and work with our minds when it's full-blown rageful anger i can't really work with my mind it in the, on the moment yeah yeah so in that way it's helpful that we can start identifying this the subtler ones yeah to work with them that's a good point that's a really good point and one of the things that I wanted to get to in talking around, like defining it also really clearly, is because, and I started a few minutes ago about talking about our culture, is that we're conf so confused about anger, A, because it's so kind of celebrated in some, some points of view, um, that you got to get angry with people. So even the social justice movement, you know, it, it, you've got to have anger to be right. you got to have anger to fight for what's good. Um, I often tell the story of when uh, it was when the United States was about to go bomb um, Iraq the first time. I went to a small protest in uh, Idaho. I had lived in Seattle for 20 years where there would have been thousands and thousands and thousands of people out. I went to the one in Idaho where there was a maybe a hundred. But still, um, you know, I felt it was important to there and to stand in a peaceful way to say, we, I, I, as an American citizen, do not support our invasion of this country. And yet the speaker started one by one by one riling up about how, you know, how negative, how wrong the administration was to the point that by the second speaker, I said, I have to go. I cannot be here. There's so much hate being fomented for a cause that I believe in. And I think we probably all have that experience of um, being in a state where we see that it's so easy for anger and hatred to arise, even for a, quote, a good cause. And that's a part of the culture that most of us grew up in. So we have this bit. We also have the thing where um, in many households, children are not allowed to be angry. So... Uh, what happens? You get smacked across the head or you get whopped with a belt or you get sent to your room or you get put into a corner or depending on how progressive your parents are, you just have to talk about your feelings. But what any, they're all punishment in some way. Right? So you're punished for, your, for, having, for having anger. And often we hear these teachings about how destructive anger is and we immediately go to how bad and wrong I am. I am an evil person. Anger is evil when it arises in me. And that is also a misconception that from the get-go, as we explore this today, I want to name and talk about why that's not so. Because Shanti Deva says later in this chapter, chap these verses I have studied so intensely where he says, no one wishes to be angry. Anger spontaneously arises. It is a conditioned phenomenon. 
It is not because the person, and he doesn't say this, I'm saying, it is not because we're evil that anger arises, although many of us learn that as children. It, that, that, that thought that anger is evil is a misconception does not mean that anger is okay. It means I'm not an evil person for having it. It means that it is a conditioned phenomenon that arises due to the causes that I want us to get to today, um, triggered by those causes, the main one being the fact that we have the seed of anger in us until we eliminate it with the wisdom realizing emptiness way down the path. So it is right natural, quote, it is kind of normal, quote, but it's not our friend. And it being a conditioned phenomenon means that we can condition it out. (laughs) We can change that conditioning slowly, slowly, slowly over time and by applying antidotes that, that whittle at it bit by bit by bit by bit. And in part, that's by looking at what are the six factors that cause the arising of the afflictions and um, working with those, really addressing those one by one by one by one. I love this quote too that um, concerned Tikchuk said, for this reason, Kadampa Lamas say that ordinary beings seek shelter from their enemies to avoid suffering. But they do not recognize the inner enemy that is the cause of suffering from which they cannot seek shelter. They said it is amazing that we avoid and kill our external enemies, but we make no attempt to harm the enemy within. So it is this conditioning. That's what we can change to harm the enemy within, not to harm ourselves, not to hate ourselves, but to see that we have this condition and we also have the conditions that help us change our minds. We can learn to do it differently. And that's what the antidotes are all about. So the first um, antidote that Shantideva mentions, should have brought the, um, found the other book. Do you have it? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Oh yeah, it is underneath probably. Anyway, this one's open in the right place. If you don't mind, I'll trade you. Wow, that's a well-marked book. So Shanti David tells us verse free. My mind will not experience peace if it fosters painful thoughts of hatred. I shall find no joy or happiness. Unable to sleep, I shall feel unsettled. That's what these other verses are about, the disadvantages. A master who has hatred is in danger of being killed even by those for who their wealth and happiness depend on his kindness. So no matter how much you're giving to the people around you, if you're angry, they're going to not like you. By it, friends and relatives are disheartened. Though drawn by my generosity, they will not trust me. In grief, there is nobody who lives happily with anger. Now those are disadvantages right off the bat, right? Your mind is in turmoil, yes or no. And the longer you let it run, the more turmoil you're in. Your stomach gets upset. You want to throw up like that.
I shall find no joy or happiness. This is the analogy of being in Hawaii in this beautiful place on a perfect beautiful beach and the food is gorgeous and the papayas are fresh and the air smells like plumeria and you're, it's gorgeous and you're furious and you cannot enjoy anything. Ever had that experience? Not in Hawaii necessarily. But <laughs> How about here? How about here? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's true. No matter what wonderful thing might you know bring excitement or joy or whatever, even being in the presence of holy beings, we can be furious, right? Furious. And none of that positive energy can come in. Unable to sleep. Ever been awake half the night? All night? Mostly tossed, turned due to anger? Friends and relatives are disheartened. I mean, the people around us never know, right? They can't trust us, really. Ever had that experience? This is a verse, a Garland of Birth Stories. When your complexion is spoiled by the fire of anger, you cannot look good, though adorned with jewelry. I mean, if we want to look good, you're, we're ugly. Our faces get twisted. Mine gets red. That's really embarrassing. Ugly. You may sleep on a good bed, but your mind suffers the sharp pains of anger. You forget to achieve goals beneficial to yourself. Is that true? Tell me a story about that. What does that mean? You forget to achieve goals beneficial to yourself when we're angry. I can think of some uh, situations in my former professional life where I was theoretically collaborating with others, but, you know, differences in opinions arose and I was just so angry at them. And there were times that I was probably yelling in meetings. And, and what comes to mind is that idea of burning bridges, mm. that these are people that at the time I thought I was going to keep working with for quite some time, people who were senior to me. And so that notion of, you know, if they think they can't work with me anymore, if they don't want anything to do with me, that's going to be harmful for me in a professional context. And it was my anger leading to that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That's a good example. Anybody have a Dharma example on the top of their mind, too? I mean, I know for myself, sometimes, I mean, I'm not always aware when there's like anger or resentment growing in my mind, but I can get into a that kind of rebellious mind. I'm not going to practice. I'm not going. <laughs> you know, something like that. Or, or, okay, they don't like my idea for doing this. Fine, I'm out of here. Somebody else can do this job. Those are angry responses. Those are definitely angry responses. And they do not forward my beneficial goals, goals that are beneficial to myself. You know, it's like, so I've come to learn, sometimes I'm a little slow to tweak to it, but I've come to learn that when I have that kind of rebellious thought in my mind, I'm not doing it. I've had it. That is a seed of, that's, that is the expression of anger in my mind and I need to, Go back and take a look at what's going on. 
You ruin the achievements of your aims, na- your aims and your good name. Venerable mention. Your grandeur fades like the waning moon, whatever grandeur there might have been, I guess. <laughs> Though your friends love you, you fall into an abyss of wrong. It's true, too, right? The people that care about us try to stick with us, and they may stick with us for a long time, but it may get harder and harder. And then we fall into this abyss of wrong. Weakening your intelligence about what is helpful and what is harmful, you mostly transgress and your mind becomes confused. That's a little sobering too. Yes. Yeah. Just like the confusion anger brings to my mind, like not not being able to discern what is really right and what is really wrong mm. because everything gets like twisted like it's it's very um it's a very afflictive state of mind that damages us and others as well of course but for me the main point is i'm not able to really see the reality I'm not able to really point out without exaggeration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a key point. I'm sorry we missed it when we talked about what anger is, because that's what it does. Anger is exaggerating the negative qualities, or actually it's the inappropriate attention that's exaggerating the negative qualities. And based on that exaggeration, then, we think we see a monster, or we think we see a disaster, or we think we see a problem, where... uh, No such thing really exists. And then when we get into the habit of viewing the world through that lens, that exaggerated lens of the negativity, then everything looks like a threat easily. And that cultivating that habit over a long time is um, hard to even see. It like becomes the sunglasses, part of the sunglasses that we're looking through. It colors everything. So our anger, the habit towards it just grows. And as this last verse says, through anger, you are, you are accustomed to harmful acts, or sinful acts is what it says, but destructive acts. Are. So you suffer for a hundred years in miserable realms with what harm greater than this could be done even by enemies avenging the great harm you have done. This anger is the inner enemy. I know it to be so. Who can bear its proliferation? If I know this to be so, who can bear its proliferation? And then Jay Rinpoche says here, meditate until you are confirmly convinced that grave consequences such as these arise from anger. That's our task, to meditate that we are confirmly convinced that such difficulties arise from anger. Are there any other disadvantages that you can bring to mind that you... Yes, there are also. I know there's lots, but... Well, we try to spend a lot of time habituating our mind towards love and compassion and um, to develop bodhicitta. And we have to come back to that time and time again because our mind is not yet habituated in that way. And every time we get angry and have these opposite thoughts... We're reversing all we've done, or some of what we've done. We're we're 
deepening the, the old track that we're trying to get rid of and, and harming the new habit. And so these are so counter to what we're trying to develop. Yeah, that's exactly one of the points that we just studied this week from the, from the text, right? The uselessness of anger against and how it destroys our uh, virtue. But also, supple. Another uh, destructive outcome of anger is it destroys trust. And especially in a situation where you're wanting to help people, one moment of anger can destroy the trust and then there's no possibility to help because that person doesn't trust you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. What else? Venerable Manlam and then Venerable Damchu. When my mind is ruminating and I just have a lot of angry thoughts going through, I have a hard time focusing on other things. And so um, that takes a lot of energy and also takes me away kind of the phrase that you were saying too, where it, it takes us away from my aims. Like I have a hard time actually accomplishing what I want to accomplish because my mind is just so stuck kind of going back to um, what happened and how I'm right and how they're wrong and blah, blah, blah. And um, something else. Let's see. I think the energy, yeah, the energy it takes in the way that I can't do much else. Yes, not only is your mind full of it, but it takes a huge amount of energy. You get exhausted. You get exhausted when you're angry. Really, it just wears you out. I guess I like to think of the conflict as just being between myself and another person, but that's never the case. It just ripples out. Like mm -hmm. I had a long-standing feud with a friend. It affected the whole friend group for mm -hmm. years. At work, we formed factions against one boss. And I've seen at a Dharma center, two senior monastics disagreed about a Dharma issue and all their followers split along those lines. And then the center split off. That really shocked me to see the effect. It's, you think it's between two people. It never is. Yeah, that's a good point. It reminds me of that story of the monks that were fighting that led the Buddha off to, to, to come up with the six, um, six harmonies. Yeah, yeah. that these monks were, were fighting and split the community and Buddha just walked into the woods. <laughs> yeah, almost something. that we all are in a sphere of influence. And so we're demonstrating how to deal with problems by being angry. So we're teaching others around us, whether we know it or not, this is how you deal with a problem, which is drastic for children, for any age group. Yeah, that's true too. That's true. Yeah, this is what I was going to Venerable's list in, in her uh, guided meditations. She, what is the effect of your actions on others is one of the things to examine. She also talks about, do we communicate effectively when we're angry? Oh, duh. It's so, you'd think I would learn by now, but no. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. Not only that, but somehow, sometimes the, the anger makes your mind very sharp. So you think you see it very clearly and you can tell it very, very well. That's a wrong conception, but that's the appearance at that moment. Everybody else have that trick? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So she says too in our in the guided meditations that we the Lamrams that we probably have all 
done, but she, it's good to look at underneath the anger, is there hurt, fear, or sadness? Because anger makes us feel powerful. When inside we are powerless. So it's a great cover and a great destroyer. Whereas if we can cultivate the um, introspective awareness that can catch what the underlying feeling is, then we don't have to put on this, quote, protective armor of anger. But we also have to, yeah, I think we also have to really decondition ourselves to believe that that is a protection. One of the things I think a lot about with anger is that the anger response is reptilian. It's it's, uh, our threat response Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. arises. Mm -hmm. And... um, if I can remember that, then I know that it's distorted and, you know, I can move my mind back. And also just having that idea that it's this reptilian thing that, you know, there's no logic loop to it, then that helps me find some compassion for my uh, reptilian responses. You know, I'm, I'm not so hard on myself then. Um, that it comes from, you know, eons of, you know, trying to survive. And so that helps me not get so down on myself when I do uh, drop into anger. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, tell me, catch me if this is wrong, but I think that looking at it from the reptilian brain point of view correlates the the, the psychological or or kind of, I guess it's, I mean, physiological point of view matches this idea of having the the seed the seed in the mind the seed of course has been there longer than our reptilian brain has but um but i think that they're they sound similar in their view of how the impulse arises yeah yeah so either either form and i guess i'll say one other thing if uh if you come from an environment when you're growing up where there is a lot of anger and yet you don't have the, uh, you know, you're punished when you are angry, mm-hmm. then you learn how to detach from it and, you know, uh, go bye-bye. <laughs> and um, that's not so helpful either. And a lot of times that kind of response is not helpful but underneath all of that is the fear that you're going to act like those around you who were out of control with yeah. anger. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. When people say they're afraid of their own anger, I've heard that said many times. People have that, that right? You're afraid of your own anger. Yeah, yeah. And that comes from that early, early conditioning. So the more we can look at what it actually is, this wonderful piece about it's a conditioned phenomenon, uh, it helps relieve that, I think, the more we meditate on it. There was one other little piece I wanted to to come to that came up. It comes up here. Lama Sankapa actually uses it again from Lama Rinpoche. It's also an illumination of the thought where he's telling the story about the monk um, from the sutra. What sutra? It's in the Srivastavada school cited in the Compendium of Training. I don't remember if the sutra was cited. Where the Buddha, um, Upali, approached the Buddha and asked um, 
about the great virtue of a monk who prostrated to the relics and got all this merit, all this merit, new policies. And uh, how does such a root of virtue come to be diminished, thoroughly purged and completely exhausted? And a um, Buddha replies, Upali, I have seen nothing comparable to inflicting wounds on and causing, conjure, causing injury to those who are engaged in the practice of pure conduct. In other words, you will sin out, thoroughly purge, and completely exhaust the root of virtue if you have malevolence towards a person that's practicing virtue, a monastic. So how many people in this room have ever been angry at a monastic? How many people in this room have even been angry at a teacher who was a monastic? Yeah, it's it's big. It's a big, big destroyer of merit. <laughs> big destroyer of merit. So to, I think to to it makes the um, conditions of living in this environment a little bit um, higher stakes. Because you know who else are you going to get? Your, your parents, your brother, your siblings aren't here. <laughs> who are you getting angry with? The people in robes sitting all around you. So just to keep that in mind again without scaring us or making us crazy with fear and now I'm not ever going to speak to another person again because I probably will be angry. Um, but to hold that in mind is another great motivator for um, working with our anger in this condition. So with the mention of how if anger is directed towards a bodhisattva, the stake is even higher. Right? Yes. So do you want to be bodhisattva, to be a cause like that to someone? <laughs> or do you want to be around bodhisattvas, <laughs> risking that danger for yourself? <laughs> that mind needs to be worked on, worked on and turned around and then say, turn try to be very convinced of the, the, the long-term benefit and how that's the only way out. Yeah, Not, yeah. Uh, not uh, avoiding them, uh, dodging them will be <laughs> enough in the long run. Yeah, that's a good point, you guys. And also, I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about in this is like, okay, so if even bodhisattvas, especially in um, the first two paths, are still subject, susceptible to angry, anger that can destroy all the stuff they've already done, then it would really behoove me to start working on this habit like now because it's going to take a long time before I even get to that level and I can. I have time to work on it now. And I need to work on it now. But you get, I can just see how that habit from these teachings, how that habit goes on and 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 it's more dangerous the further along the path we get. So not to take care of it when I'm you know, just barely hanging on to the path at the very, very, very beginning. Not on a path, but aspiring to be on a path someday is the best time to be working on overcoming this habit. Yeah, I do have a question for Geshe-la on how, how he view... Um, um, it, it's a bit discordant for me, but um, how do you see it when this... Um, this reference to the reptilian mind is somehow equated with seeds of karma. How does that um, 
Mm. How do you see that? Mm. If I understood, if I understood this uh, properly, this is coming from evolutionary theory. Is yeah. it? I think so. Yeah. If that is the point, then we need to be aware of the two paradigms. And try to look at them through those same lenses, and it would make sense there. And then, if our effort is to make a kind of a connection between the two, reconcile, uh, then uh, it would be an another thing. But uh, but we have to be uh, aware of the two different worldviews uh, that we are kind of. Comparing or contrasting with, nonetheless, uh, from a Buddhist perspective, uh, that kind of uh, uh, impulse uh, could be karmic seed, not just could be. It, it's a result of habituation, and I even am. Do you say I'm? I'm. I'm even cautious about using the term natural, normal mm. uh, into the Buddhist context mm -hmm. because such as such and also such also like saying our life has a purpose from the beginning whatsoever there's a given purpose no we have to make the purpose mm -hmm. it's not that it, everything we do everything that happens good bad has a purpose already built into it, because that's bringing in another worldview, another paradigm. So those needs to be, uh, uh, what do you call, hmm, separated. Yeah. So if that were to be looked from Buddhist perspective, then I think that aligns very much with habituation, which is more like the imprints, karmic imprints. And it goes much, and its root goes much, much further away than this birth. Yeah. <laughs> Like that. But uh, in this context of the destructiveness of uh, uh, hatred, as heavy as it has really, really, really felt, <laughs> the, the first, the first few uh, sessions of teachings was not not that enjoyable, <laughs> <laughs> and particularly with Gishela and in, insisting that this is the moment. It is speaking of moment, moment, moment of uh, something. Uh, which I would still ask him for 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 a reliable citation, because here, in the translation here, it says, in the very first stanza, will the the translation here sticks to the Tibetan in terms of using the term uh, in terms of choosing the term anger for the first stanza and hatred for the second. Mm -hmm. This itself is a. Testimony that they are the same thing, uh -huh. uh, and that's so even in the Tibetan also. But uh, we have heard that uh, in relation, in connection with dedication, that it is very very important to dedicate our merit, whatever we have done, as soon as we can, so that it can be kept away from the rich riches of the anger like that. Uh, but then, didn't we see? Didn't we see? Didn't we come across in the illumination that uh, even uh, merits uh, conjoined with bodhicitta uh, would not be completely 
destroyed, but eroded. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, eroded was the term used. Yeah. So, so I'm struggling still. I was resorting to bodhicitta to the best I could. Of course, one has to come up with the genuine bodhicitta, and that may make a big difference in kind of creating a safety net around uh, safety net around our uh, virtues, so that the anger uh, cannot get into it. <laughs> uh, so that needs to be looked into together with this so that we could get uh, some sense of what can be done even here and now to to the best we can yeah yeah thank you thank you thank you did that did that solve your your qualm no okay okay because I want to say I, d- I didn't want to correlate them that, that they are the same, but that if you're thinking about how anger arises, if that's if your paradigm is to see it in one way, that is, is spontaneous in the same way that from a different paradigm, it also arises as a condition. They're both conditioned. They're both conditioned phenomenon, actually. Okay. Um, so I lost my place, but I wanted to talk about merit just a little bit because I think so that we understand what it is that we're destroying. Uh, because if we don't really have a good sense of that, then, you know, it's not such a terrible deal. Or does that clear for everybody? Maybe we don't need to go there because I'm running out of time. Yes, no, it's not clear. It is clear. Not clear. Okay. So what are virtues? What will be destroyed? When it said your virtues will be destroyed. I went to Samsara Nirvana Buddha Nature to get the authoritative voice on this. So she says, or he says, holiness says, in general, virtuous karma and merit are synonymous. We know that, yeah. In the context of samsara, they are actions that have the ability to bring favorable results. Calling an action virtuous or meritorious emphasizes that it is psychologically healthy and ethically irreproachable. In terms of spiritual progress, virtuous actions enrich the mind. They establish the foundation for generating the realizations and the excellent qualities of the arhats, bodhisattvas, and buddhas. And in the context of the two collections of merit, and wisdom, merit is that which primarily has the capacity to give rise to the form body of a Buddha. Right, we know that. So this, I mean, it's said in such a few little terms, enriches the mind, establishes the foundation for generating the realizations and the excellent qualities. We need that merit in order to build on our practice to keep it going. It's not an inexhaustible thing in our minds, I guess until you're a Buddha, but at least at this point, it is not an inexhaustible resource that to continue to generate merit, we're both planting the seeds for, um, we're for good rebirths if we do that, we're planting the seeds for um, fortunate conditions in in those rebirths. We're doing all of that. At the same time, our very progression along the path, our capacity, even that thing I talked about in the motivation, even that sense of um, being interested in the Dharma, that really precious gift of our precious human life, 
is a result of virtue. That's a meritorious thing, I think. I'm not sure if that's technically correct, but it, it can only come from virtue and it can only be fed by virtue. So to destroy those kinds of things doesn't just give us unhappy, unhealthy lives, doesn't just give us terrible rebirths, which it does. And if you believe in that, that's meaningful. If you don't, it's not so meaningful. But it also means that our progression along the path is is not fed and we fall off. And I see, you know, we see that sometimes. It's, and it's not to denigrate where people are coming from, but you see sometimes people are so interested in the Dharma, so interested, so interested, and then gone, 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 gone. Oh, got married. Oh, had a baby. No time now. <laughs> and that's true. But that um, force that keeps us able to keep practicing. And I can say, I can see, probably most of us all can see, at the beginning, I had a lot of enthusiasm and not much knowledge and a lot of energy for it. But what I see now, all these years later, is how much I I didn't know how much I thought I knew and didn't know, what it means to have a practice that's actually internalized rather than one that feels somewhat more superficial as we do. So we have to sustain that for our whole lifetime. And then the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one in order for these qualities to continue to grow. That's what we're destroying when anger comes up. That yeah. Or those roots of virtue. Yeah. So it has been discussed what is anger, the seeds of anger, the toxic effects of anger. But I don't think it has been discussed what do we do when anger arises? What right. are the counter action right. for anger? And that's what we're going to do actually now. Oh, sorry. That's okay. No, no, no. It's it's on my list. <laughs> it's on my list. I want I wanted to go through these six things that cause the um, anger to arise. So I'm going to run through them super quickly, and then we'll get to the antidotes because um, we're running out of time. Yeah. Hopefully, I'm not alone and having difficulty with hearing those teachings about how one moment of anger destroys eons worth of merit. It seems a bit extreme. But the way you just described how we continue to progress along the path, it sort of makes more sense because once we start going away from the, a positive direction, we just keep going down that path. So it's not like all your merit gets destroyed in that one instant, like it evaporates, but rather you are set, setting yourself in a trajectory that will just take you farther and farther away. And in that way, that's how your merit gets destroyed. You know, you might go to the lower realms and then you can't get out. And then, yeah. So yeah. that's helpful how you framed it. Thank you. Yeah, good. I don't know that for sure that that's what that one instant things. I think Geshel is going to help us with that. <laughs> but that is definitely a way that our anger erodes our, our, our virtue. And all the afflictions, actually. Yeah, actually, I forgot to mention. I, I just quoted the translation here where it chooses to call one moment of anger, uh-huh. whereas in Tibetan, the original also says kongochik, one anger, it doesn't necessarily say moment. Uh-huh. And also in the commentary also, it says kongochiki, one anger. So it is one instance. Uh, 
or one episode, but not necessarily one very moment. moments within one stretch of anger like yeah. that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the destructiveness of anger or hatred is very much uh, stressed by the Buddha. Yeah. Um, it is singled out like no other afflictions. So much so that uh, in Dhammapad, in Dhammapad, I think I quoted that in Dhammapad, there is an episode where uh, Ananda, was it Ananda? Yeah, I think it is Ananda who asks Buddha, uh, what is the difference uh, in the teachings that he gives and the, those given by the previous Buddhas? What is the, es- the essential difference? And to which Buddha responds by saying three stanzas. The first one is, do not commit uh, Evil, non-virtuous action. Yeah, so. and then the and then the next, pardon, yeah, do not perform. Perform only virtuous. Yeah, perform only virtuous ones. Tame your mind. This yeah. is the teaching yeah. of the Buddha. Yeah. And then the second one immediately follows. The um, the second one immediately follows about anger, mm. how it needs to be addressed. Mm. And then the third one comes, how to deal with it, uh, how to address anger, the steps. All of these three are part of one episode in the, in the Dhammapada, uh, as a response to a question to what is the, what essentially is different? And he says, essentially there's no difference. And we find that in our um, Pratimoksha, uh, summary, summary and dedication, yeah, where yeah, yeah. all all three of them come out of seven, and uh, ascribed to different Buddhas. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you. It's true. So, how many verses are in there in this chapter? One hundred thirty-four. Um, the and there are 134 antidotes. <laughs> I mean, every one of them is an antidote to anchor. But I, the but, but quickly, just to look at the afflictions, um, like all why do all afflictions manifest in the mind, and they are when we say they're conditioned phenomena, they have a combination of circumstances that are responsible for bringing them. And there are six that are identified as the most prominent. They're not the only causes either. But the first is the latencies or the seeds of the afflictions that are in the mind beginninglessly. Since they have not been eradicated from the root, their latencies are in our mind stream and they can give rise to manifest afflictions at any time. So that's one. Second is contact with the object. So that we know our afflictions go crazy from our sense consciousness contacts. Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch. From our own experience, they run rampant when we're near certain objects or certain people. So that contact is one of the, I won't go into them in detail. Detrimental influences is one of the other factors, like wrong friends, people who influence us, uh, news, well, the next one is media, okay. Parents, children, how we're raised even. 
what we learn from our families um, can be factors that influence how these afflictions arise. The fourth one is verbal stimulation or um, things like media, books, TV, internet, radios, watching the news, and so forth stimulate the afflictions to arise. Five, habitual ways of thinking and habitual emotions. So this is really an internal check of what are our emotional, mental habits. What stories do we go to? Check. What are our minds running to when something happens to me? What's the first story that comes? Nobody cares anyway. Oh, something just happened. They never liked me in the first place. Something just happened. I'm all alone. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm no good. Whatever. Our, we have this story that comes up. These are mental habits. None of them is true. <laughs> Not one of them is true. And we have these mental habits that arise that feed our conceptualization so we feel sorry for ourselves or anger can arise from that. And then in this inappropriate attention that I mentioned before, this misinterpretation of events, that's where the exaggeration for the attractiveness of good qualities in the case of attachment and the exaggeration of negative qualities in the case of um, anger or hatred that you know makes a big story out of things. So learning really to watch very carefully what our minds are doing. And this winter retreat is going to be so helpful in watching. Um, we're doing the four establishments of mindfulness as our winter retreat. So um, we'll do mindfulness on the body for sure, but also learning to pay attention to our feelings. When a negative or an unpleasant feeling arises, what's our immediate habitual response to that? How do we begin to see what that... Um, arising of that, uh, especially those uncomfortable feelings feel like, or what do we do when a pleasant feeling arises? What's the habit that makes us fall? And what's, what's the story we start to tell? When does the exaggeration start to kick in? We start to, you know, really meditate on watching these things in our minds and then looking at the, um, the mind itself. And then the phenomena that arises, the, um, the way the venerable taught it, we would be looking at the mental factors that um, are present. So this will help us tremendously in working with these things. So finally, I only have a few minutes left and I ask people to tell us what are the quick on the spot antidotes that you use so that we can answer Claudia's question before we go a little bit. There are many and the main thing is they all have to be applied. <laughs> That's sort of step one, they have to be applied so as we said, Shanti Deva, um, I'm angry. Is this losing all my? Is this worth losing all my merit over? It never is, and that for her stops. Uh, asking myself where the harm is. So that's kind of addressing the sixth mm. of of those causes. Mm. What am I actually being harmed right now? Oftentimes the answer is no. Yeah, good. That's a good one. For me, it's. Um, paying attention to what my body is telling me. So when I start to get irritated, it goes into the gut. I feel the gut tighten. And so I, I pay attention to that. And that gets me internal instead of external. Because if I stay external, then things erupt and come out and it's not good. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm trying to recognize the exaggeration that most things that we think are a big deal are not a big deal. And if I'm holding something as a big deal when I'm upset, 
just recognizing that I, I don't want to be angry. Um, I need to turn my mind, and this is not a big deal. And just trying to let go of it that way. A couple of things. One is, if I can remember to think, this person wants happiness. They do not want suffering. And yeah. these are conditions that are arising, causes and conditions. That's one thing. And then another um, verse that comes to my mind often is from Transforming Problems by Lama Zoborimshe, where he talks about um, no matter, even if someone is harming you, that doesn't mean that I have to get angry in response. I can still hold a loving heart. And that really, you know, at moments can really help. Just becoming extremely aware that everything falls away and all that's there is this big I. So the sense of self is so strong when I get angry that I, I stop caring about anything. Mm -hmm. what's right there in front with this big sense of self. The person leaves, the situation disappears. So it's a reality check on who's involved here. So how do you trigger that reality check? Well, I mean, everything just, dis everything just disappears. There's a tightness in the chest, a little bit like Venerable Jigme. There's definitely a physiological heaviness, solidity, tightness, hurt in the center of my chest. And then that's why, and then I have to just stop what I'm doing. Do so you I, recognize that? Yeah. 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 Okay. Right now, hit the pause button. Yeah. 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 Venerable something. This advice came from Venerable Children, so of course it's wise. And she said, best to keep your mouth closed. And so, you know, you can keep your mouth closed and feel the reaction. And then over time, you can see it dissipate. And like Venerable Losang said, what is the big deal anyway? Mm -hmm. Big deal with the self-centered thought. Mm -hmm. uh, this morning in uh, the motivation that Venerable Lamsa led also on this topic uh, she quoted what Venerable Sangi Kadro had said last night that one of the and Venerable Sangi Kadro was citing one of the main um, antidotes that we use against anger is to cultivate loving kindness and what Venerable Lamsel was saying is that Venerable S.K. had said, if your mind is filled with loving kindness, there is no room for anger in the mind. So what I have come to learn about antidotes in, in my lifetime, in my Dharma practice lifetime, is I used to think that antidotes were something that you put on like, uh, you know, you throw put Bactine on your scrape or you, you spray the, when you do something, then you quickly, you put the medicine on real quick so that you get better. It took me a long time to realize that the antidote really means that you practice when you're not in the throes of the, of the um, affliction. So cultivating a loving mind, doing a daily practice of loving kindness, doing a daily or, what, or whatever, doing a daily practice of going through how to develop these minds of, of patience or fortitude, really working with seeing, oh, this person, may you be happy. May you be free from suffering. They want to be happy. They want to be free from suffering. May they be happy. May they be free from suffering. May I cause them happiness. May I be, you know, be able to free them from their suffering in the long term. So that if that's like the, the way of thinking in your mind all the time, then these conditions for anger to rise are way less. And I know that many people, many of us have tried it. And I know I have noticed when I'm really on it, that really works. 
And when I back off and go, now I'm going to go meditate on something else. So it has to be maintained over time. So all of these antidotes, I mean, we so over time too, I mean, there really are dozens in this book and in other places. Uh, working with anger, I didn't bring, but I consulted in preparing for this too. It's such a fabulous book on how to apply these. And the bottom line is they must be applied. We have to practice them. And so, you know, our, my wish today was that for us to really look at... Um, can it more deeply refreshing the fact that anger has no other function than to make us not abide in happiness and to meet with suffering in the future. And when we know that, we have to know that in order to want to overcome it. And to the extent that we really have internalized that, then we'll practice to overcome it. We still kind of think, well, it's kind of okay, or, you know, this one wasn't too bad. You know, we'll have a more lackadaisical attitude about it. We'll have a lackadaisical practice of fortitude in response to it. Um, and I also just want to say, finally, that we, of course, we're not talking about the other two kinds of fortitude. But these, if we look at fortitude and we look at what we've been learning from this chapter uh, on the luminous, in the illumination of the intent, we can see that the strength of mind to you know, in an ordinary life, just to, to, to be of benefit and to bear with the sufferings of cyclic existence, the strength of mind that this quality of fortitude brings seems like so amazing and such a reducer in our suffering right off the bat. I mean, it's kind of practically immediate. And then for the long term to be able to do what a bodhisattva must, well, to become a bodhisattva, and then to be able to do what a bodhisattva must do and is now compelled to do the more we're habituated to that, that motivation, that this quality of fortitude just gives us the strength. I mean, talking about donning the armor, that is the armor. <laughs> and doing the practices, you know, the six, six perfections all along carries us straight to Buddhahood. So its value is just kind of immeasurable. And its opposite, anger, is simply to be overcome. That's all there is to it. Bottom line. With the compassion and the humility that realizes <laughs> that we have those seeds and it's going to keep coming. And every time it comes, we have the opportunity to practice. Okay. That's my soapbox. Anything else? Okay, it's dedicated.